continuing uh, through the book of Second Chronicles this evening. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I love that song, that hymn, uh, one of my, my favorites, all-time favorites. Um, <clears throat> you know, we do have uh, a tendency to wander um, and leave the one that we, we love. And that's just, that's our tendency because we are constantly battling against the flesh, battling against the world, our own pride, Satan himself and his minions. We, uh, we, we battle uh, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and uh, he tries different things, but his schemes are always the same. And so at some point we can read his, um, his attempts to, to tempt us and to distract us, derail us, um, delay us, and take us off course. And so we need to always keep in mind that the Lord is truly faithful. He's with us. And uh, he loves us with an everlasting love. He is faithful. We can abide in him. And, uh, and he is trustworthy. Uh, we, can, we can walk according to his word and know that we are in the right place. This evening, uh, we're going to take a look at um, primarily a man who stood up at just the right time and, um, and stood up against that which was unrighteous, that which was wicked. You know, there's a time when righteousness, the, the, the righteous is called to make a stand. It should be every day, but I say this because there, there are particular moments in life to where we're called to make a stand. Insist on what is right and act on securing it at all costs, as much as it depends on you. Examples of this, oh, we can see them throughout the pages of Scripture. I think of John the Baptist. I have pointed out time and time again how it is that he did not die because he was proclaiming the gospel, but he died because he was pointing out something that was immoral in the life of a ruler of the day. I think of Nehemiah. How he went to do the work of the Lord and stood up against those who were trying to distract him and told them there was no way that he was going to leave what was good to go and speak to them, which he discerned to be evil intentions. Anything about Esther? She was called to make a stand, and Mordecai had told her, hey, if you don't do it, Know that someone else will. And he told her, don't think that you yourself will, would be spared along with the rest of God's people. She was called to make a stand. Then we have the judges. We have the prophets of Israel. We have some of Israel's kings that did the very same thing. Tonight we see a, a priest by the name of Jehoiada. He takes a stand and acts on what is right and expels what is wicked. And the people, well, they responded. They re responded by rejoicing 
and there was quiet throughout the land. In other words, there was, there was peace. You know, Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. So let's pray. Father, we, we do desire peace, Lord. We know that through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, we can know that peace that surpasses all understanding. But Lord, that peace does not mean that we will not face trials Situations that you allow to test us, proving where we are with you, and whether we would stand on the side of righteousness or compromise, bending to that which is wicked or of the flesh, of the world, that which is opposed to you. And so, Father, these are, these are tests, Lord, not to condemn us, Lord, but to prove to us, to reveal to us that which is not of you, so that we may confess, repent, and walk uprightly before you, better than we did before. And so I ask, Lord, that you would encourage us through this chapter, Father, as we look at the life of Jehoiada, how it is that he stood, he stood up against that which was evil and put in place that which was righteous. I pray, Father, and I ask that you would help us to remember this story when we too are called to take a stand. To confront that which is not of you and be willing to be willing to put it away and put in its place that which is righteous, that which is good, and that which is pleasing to you. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your courage and help us to persevere. Speak to us this evening, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Second Chronicles, uh, we're in chapter 23 this evening. So let's begin. <clears throat> Verse 1. But in the seventh year, Jehoiada took courage and entered into a covenant with the commanders of hundreds. Azariah, the son of Jeroham, Ishmael, the son of Jehohanan, uh, Azariah, the son of Obed, Messiah, the son of Adaiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri. And they went about through Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the heads of fathers' houses of Israel. And they came to Jerusalem. And all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, Behold, the king's son, let him reign as the Lord spoke concerning the sons of David. This is the thing that you shall do. Of you priests and Levites who come off duty on the Sabbath, one-third shall be gatekeepers, and one-third shall be at the king's house, and one-third at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. Let no one enter the house of the Lord except the priests and ministering Levites. They may enter, for they are holy, but all the people shall keep the charge of the Lord. The Levites shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. 
And whoever enters the house shall be put to death. Be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. Well, you go through those verses rather quickly and if you forget what happened prior to this, you think, well, this is the installment of just the next king of Judah, right? But if you remember last week, we learned about a woman by the name of Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king. How it is that she had taken Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and hid him in the temple while the wicked Ataliah reigned over Judah. And so we remember that it was Ataliah that assumed the throne by murdering the royal family. But it was this woman, Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, that courageously took young Joash at the age of one and hid him in the temple. This took great courage. Because Jehoshabeth was a woman who was willing to put her own life on the line to save a life that should have rightfully succeeded the throne. No, that's the righteous stand. But the consequences of those actions meant that she was willing to put her life on the line, going against Ataliah's desire to reign unchallenged by any of the king's sons, having murdered them all. You remember that? But of course, missing the one hidden away by Jehoshabeth. Oh, now in chapter 23, we learn of her husband. Talk about a power couple. This is awesome. When I, when I see a husband and a wife serving in ministry such as these two, uh, it just it, it fills me with courage. It, it just helps me to just minister to my wife and encourage her to also serve alongside as she has. But we, we hear of her husband who was also a courageous man. Not just Jehoshabeth, but now we have her husband, Jehoiada, who we are also learning is a very courageous man. Who will be used by God to put Joash on the throne of Judah. His wife hid him away, made sure that he was safe, and now her husband was working, was planning, was putting everything together to make sure that Joash made it to the throne of Judah. By doing so, he was putting his own life on the line to do what was right. Hey, listen, brothers and sisters, fear and cowardice are infectious. Evil and compromise are also infectious. People will follow whether it be cowardice that you demonstrate or evil and compromising acts or thoughts or words that are spoken. But we need to also understand that righteousness and integrity, confidence and courage are also infectious. To those who desire the like, you will be encouraged. 
to those who don't desire the like of what another is encouraging you with, well, it will be repulsive to you. That is the way it works. To that which we desire to hear, we will receive. That which we do not desire to hear, we will loathe, we will reject, we will fail to receive. In other words, you will have an intense distaste and be, even be driven back by what you don't desire. But you will have an intense attraction to welcome and receive what you desire. Either way, you will be encouraged by one or the other. But each one chooses. Each person chooses what we will influence others with and allow ourselves to be influenced by. It is a matter of choice. We have full control of that. We should really be aware of what is true, what is righteous, and desire to be influenced by that. And rather reject that which is not of the Lord. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, for this couple, they were were an encouragement to each other to do what was right. The same thing as I mentioned Mordecai and Esther earlier. The same happened between Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai to Esther initially encouraging her to do what was right even if it meant her own life. Think about that. This was a relative who was telling Esther, You do this. I know that it may cost your life, but do what is right. Go. For for perhaps you are there for such a time as this. And here it is. Jehoiada. You could say that in this day, the Lord had raised him up for such a time as this. So it was the seventh year of Ataliah's illegitimate reign that Jehoiada took courage and entered into a covenant with the commanders of hundreds. And as we read, after the first verse, we can go into the second one because this is how it happened. And and he laid it all, all out. The chronicler laid it all out. Jehoiada the priest called for the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel to gather in Jerusalem for the purpose of making a covenant with the king in the house of God. Now Jehoiada did not know how everyone was going to respond. And so again, he was putting his life on the line. He didn't know if someone was going to go back to Ataliah 
and tell her exactly what was happening. But he did what was right anyway. And they all responded and gathered and made a covenant with the king, that is Joash, in the house of God. Now, this gathering was not to replace the king with whoever they wanted to, but to acknowledge and secure the reign of the person that God had ordained to sit on the throne of Judah and Jerusalem. In other words, they were acknowledging God and his will above anyone and anything. And once Jehoiada had the agreement of all the leaders, he then communicated the plan to all of them to be executed on the Sabbath. These are the plans, and we read it. So why the Sabbath? This is, I, I, I love how Jehoiada is thinking, pay partic- part, particular attention to the details of his planning. He thought this through. Because the day, the Sabbath, in order to execute these plans, was genius. On the Sabbath, the guards double. The priests double. The Levites more than double. In fact, all of, these, all of these people actually more than double because this is the expected day for people to come into the house of the Lord and worship. But the exchange of their shifts, the coming off and on, all happened on the Sabbath each week. So nothing would be suspected. It would be a normal gathering, including the gathering of many worshipers in the courts of the house of the Lord, all of which normally would not include Ataliah and her court. So Jehoiada was thinking, this is the perfect day. We're going to do it on the Sabbath. You know, we ought to always think about this. For us, we, we are to be heralds of the gospel. But we have to think about how to do that in a way that is most effective. You know, we're given a sphere of influence. We're giving, given people uh, by the Lord. It's not by coincidence that you work where you work or you, you have the friends that you do or you um, are around the neighbors that you have or the family... All of that is not by coincidence, but you gotta you gotta be a thinker. You gotta you gotta think about how it is that you're going to approach those around you. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter ten, verse sixteen, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. One can be as shrewd as a serpent. And as fierce as a lion, and also be innocent of wrongdoing. Just like Nehemiah, Esther, Mordecai, the judges, and prophets that I had mentioned earlier. Jehoiada was clever and thus planned well to accomplish something that was right. The lesson for us is don't telegraph your punches to the enemy. Don't tell them what you're going to do. Don't tell them your intentions. 
You got to be as cunning as a serpent, as harmless as a dove. Do that which is right, and you will do that which is right and honoring and glorifying to the Lord. But we don't have to tell the enemy what we're about to do. We can go about the Lord's business and be very shrewd about it. This is Jehoiada. This is what he thought through, and it was absolutely clever. It was genius. Verse 8, let's continue. The Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath, for Jehoiada the priest did not dismiss the divisions. And Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains the spears and the large and small shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of God. And he said, all the people as a guard for the king, every man with his weapon in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house. Then they brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and they said, long live the king. And so we see Jehoiada the priest follow through with his plan, ensuring that the men were equipped with protective, all the protective gear that they needed, as well as all the weapons necessary to defend against anyone who chose to oppose this act of righteousness. Keep in mind, Jehoiada is not regarded as a warrior, he's a priest. And yet he was thinking, he was planning, he was equipping those who were capable of protecting and defending at all costs that which was righteous. He did everything he could to ensure the transfer of power to the rightful king. That's why it was not the rightful queen. She, remember, she took that. She murdered the royal family. And she had sat on the throne now, well, for, it was actually six years and in going into the seventh year. After he secured, he made, he made sure that everything was in order, everyone was in their places. They then brought out the king's son, crowned him, and gave him the testimony which means the law, the word of God. They gave him that. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, it states that the king is always to have his own copy of the law, the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And I'd like to read that because it's important for us to understand. This is what the Lord intended for the kings of Israel to do. So Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18 says, and when he sits on the throne, speaking of a king in Israel, of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read, it, read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brother's, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children 
in Israel. This, this was the desire of the Lord. This was the commandment of the Lord. This is what the king of Israel was to do. Now, we know that Joash in this moment, as we see here, assuming the throne of Judah, did not write the law in a book, but was handed the law for his reading and keeping. Perhaps at some point, Joash did himself write a copy of the law in his own writing in a fresh book, as was required of each of Israel's kings. But the Lord, the reason why, and, and this is important for a king, it's important for you and I, that we ourselves do not neglect the reading and the studying of this book. That we, too, may not veer off. That we would know what the Lord requires of us. That we would walk in the ways of the Lord and not deviate from those things. Because as we deviate, we, we go off into trouble. <laughs> we, uh, we get ourselves into trouble. But if we know it, it's not out of ignorance. It's because, we're, uh, it's because of neglect. It's because of a, a rebellious heart. It's because we refuse to draw close to the Lord and therefore walk in his ways. The Lord doesn't want it for anyone who rules over his people and he doesn't want it for any of his people. He wants us to, to walk with him, walk close to him, to draw near to him. And as we do that, he says he'll draw near to us. Well, Joash was anointed. He was proclaimed as king and confessed openly. He was confessed openly as their king and publicly. As they all with one voice said, long live the king. Oh, what a glorious moment that was when, when all the people gathered together, all of the leaders gathered together, and they all with one voice declared the king, long live the king. But it should be no different for you and I as it pertains to our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one to be enthroned. He is the one to be proclaimed. He is the one to be confessed and served openly and publicly as Lord over our entire lives. Not sporadically. At some point, we should come to the realization that what he desires of us is the entirety of our lives, completely. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he appealed to his brethren in Rome. In Romans 12.1, he writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Well, at this point, Joash is anointed and they made the proclamation the declaration that he is the king verse 12 when Ataliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king she went into the house of the Lord to the people and when she looked there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance 
and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets and the singers with their musical instruments leading in the celebration. And Ataliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason, treason. You can just picture the situation. Ataliah hearing the commotion all the uproar of the people, the shouting. And she sees people shouting and, and running, right? And then what? Praising the what? Ataliah is like, what do I hear? Praising the king? No doubt she was, she was bewildered. And a, a bewildered Ataliah, shocked Ataliah, kind of not understanding what was going on. Ataliah followed the people running into where the joyful shouting was taking place and entered the house of the Lord. Obviously, she wasn't there. Just as Jehoiada had known she wouldn't be present. But she comes into the house of the Lord. She looks to where everyone is staring with delight and fascination. And her eyes stop on the small figure of a seven-year-old being praised as the king. She came into an absolute celebration. And yet, Ataliah in the midst of everyone... No one took notice. No one cared about the wicked tyrant. She was no more. Her reaction to this outward display of disgust and public declaration of judgment against it, calling it for what it was, she said, treason, treason. And you know, she was right. It was treason against her government. But it was not treason against the government God had established. The wicked rule and authority of a tyrannical, illegitimate ruler was being overthrown. But the righteous rule of the anointed and God-appointed king was being established. The question at this point, as she sees all of this happening... As she is crying out, treason, treason. Who's going to come to her aid? Who's going to back her up? Well, verse 14, Then Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains who were set over the army, saying to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and anyone who follows her is to be put to death with the sword. The priest said, Do not put her to death in the house of the Lord, So they laid hands on her, and she went into the entrance of the horse gate of the king's house, and they put her to death there. So who came to her aid? No one. No one at all. That that speaks volumes. You know that even after all of these years, her court, nobody came to support her. No one, we don't have mention of anyone opposing 
what Jehoiada was commanding to have done. She was just utterly devoted to destruction, righteous judgment. This wicked woman had influenced her husband and son in wickedness to their undoing, as we read in the previous chapter. And then when her son was killed, she murdered all the royal family she could, she could find, and assumed the throne for herself. Jehoiada was not about to allow this wicked woman to do any further harm to the kingdom. And immediately commanded for her to be put to death. And then also commanded that anyone who follows her would also be put to death. He made sure that the house of the Lord was not desecrated. Making sure that her blood was not spilled in the house of the Lord. And she was taken to the horse gate and then put to death there. And anyone who was of the same mind and followed her was not to return either. It, it's, it, seems, it seems extreme. Why, why not just put her in jail for like a, a life sentence or something like that? Right? But we, we need to remember, uh, the word of God says a life for a life. Right? Um, it is required. She had taken multiple lives. She was wicked. She was evil. The influence that she had over her husband and in the life of her son both led to wickedness throughout the nation. No, it was, it was righteous judgment. And anyone who chose to have the same perspective and have the same mind was also to be put to death. You see, it was this woman who was actually guilty of treason. She had betrayed the people of God, overthrown his government by murdering the royal family and assuming the throne that was, that was not hers to take. G. Campbell Morgan said this, quote, Her own treason against the true and abiding king of the nation was defeated. Thus, sooner or later, and in ways equally dramatic, the moment arrives when those who plot and plan against heaven and righteousness find themselves looking at the evidence of the triumph of God and of goodness over all their wickedness, close quote. Rest assured, no one is greater than God. Wickedness will not triumph over righteousness. Proverbs 12.3 says, No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 11 says, Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. If you remember... Sisters, you went through your study of the book of Esther. What happened to Haman? Boo, yeah. <laughs> he had those gallows built for Mordecai. Was Mordecai hung on him? No. It was Haman himself, right? 
Pharaoh. Pharaoh was powerful. He was the ruler of Egypt. And he was no match for God. The Egyptian army, in fact, was no match for God. The whole of the army. I'm sorry, weren't they right behind us? <laughs> no, they've been swallowed up by the sea. Yeah, the very path that two million Israelites crossed. Such was Judas as well. Thinking that the crucifixion of Christ was a defeat. And yet it was the very victory that the Father had ordained to take place to pay for our sins. But the church, well, the very gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Rest assured, there's no one greater. Not Satan. Not the demons. Not presidents. Not dictators. Not tyrants. Nothing and no one is greater than the Lord. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire along with his minions and everyone who follows him, those who reject and deny Christ. We know that righteousness will always prevail. And there's no one that can overwhelm God. Our God is the only God, and he's Lord of all. And in that we can rest. In him we have our hope. We stand with him, we stand on the side of righteousness, and we should be confident in that. Well, Ataliah thought that she had succeeded, but she in the end was put to death, and so righteous judgment was followed through with. And here we have now Joash on the throne of Judah. But then there was more work to be done. In verse 16, it says, And Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people. Then all the people went to the house of Baal and tore, tore it down. His altars and his images they broke in pieces and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, Baal before the altars. Let's stop there. We, we have to... As we continue through, notice that the covenant was between all of the people. Uh, I just read in Deuteronomy chapter 17 how it was that um, as the law was, going, was written and read daily by the king, it was also to understand that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left. This covenant was made with everyone in mind, between all of them, the king, the people, the priests, that they all were surrendering themselves to God's authority as God's people and under, ultimately, his government. When this happens, everyone gives themselves to live their lives for the glory of God and demonstrate that life of surrendering and living for the glory of God by serving each other as they serve the Lord. Now, the crowning of Joash was only part of this covenant. But it was not what defined or what determined the righteousness of the kingdom. 
It was in all actuality the revival of the whole nation that gathered, that as they gathered together, they, as one, determined to enthrone the rightful king in obedience to God. You see, it was at this point that the entire nation recommitted their lives to obeying, honoring, and serving God. This is the pinnacle. In in this event, it wasn't a political reformation. It wasn't a political revival that made this possible. It was a priest who stood on the side of righteousness, gathering the leaders of the families of the tribes of Israel, all agreeing to obey the Lord, and then making a declaration and a covenant, a promise to be governed by God that brought about a spiritual revival within the people and amongst the entirety of the nation. Oh, that is truly wonderful. It's, we see what happened when they all came together and they recommitted their lives to honoring and serving God in obedience to Him. Well, this included not just the well, the communicating this, saying this, but it was also action. This included the destruction of the worship of idols. It was a complete departure from their ungodly practices that demanded they do away with everything and everyone that had to do with their previous wicked practices of idolatry. Everything was to go such as the judgment of those who lead people into false religion with false teaching, as we see happened here with the priests of Baal. Before their altars, they were put to death. But in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, saying, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but... There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Anathema. Condemned. Such uh, is the church of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. They do not worship the same God as we do. You know, and perhaps here as of late, the last couple days, perhaps the angel Moroni changed his mind too. Why? Because now they're affirming same-sex marriage. Did you know that? Such is the judgment. And I pray, and I had this conversation with someone 
earlier. I pray that perhaps the Lord will use this latest decision by the Mormon church to open the eyes of those who have been duped to believe their false religion and come to see who the true God is, where salvation comes from, and come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, in spirit and in truth. Hey, listen, these warnings of people who lead people in false doctrine is, is nothing to take lightly. It, it's, it's not a joke. That's why we need to stand uh, on the side of sound doctrine to teach it and to make sure that anything that opposes sound doctrine is, um, is pointed out, it's dealt with, and it's not allowed into our own lives. You know, we see these, these people here who had just made a recommitment to the Lord and they completely did away with everything that had to do with idolatry. The worship of Baal and, and everything that, had, that went along with that. And he took it seriously. And so we ought to also take the purity of our walk with the Lord seriously. That's why we here at Refuge also. And as far as what other churches do, the Lord will deal with them. But here at Refuge, that's why we do not sing. We, do, we don't contribute to Hillsong. I, I, I don't know if you've done your research on Hillsong, on Jesus Culture, on Bethel. But they have unsound doctrine. Why would we expose you to something that could possibly imply that we're okay with that and lead you astray? Why, or uh, imply a, a willingness for us to compromise and associate with, because we would be associating with them in some way, shape, or form, and then imply that we're, we're okay with that. Can't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm responsible, and at some point you are responsible if you allow it and do not point it out. If you sit back and you're at, at a church to where they're doing things that you know is compromise, and at some point you still sit there? Why? Why? Make, make sure that you understand the seriousness of compromise in the life of the believer and within the congregation of the saints. Again, we see evidence of this taking seriously here with the people of God as they recommitted their lives to the Lord. Everything went. Everything went. Ataliah, the wicked ruler. Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars, he was, he was killed. He was put to death. And so it should be with darkness in our own lives and in our place of worship. Verse 18 says, And Jehoiada posted watchmen for the house of the Lord under the direction of the Levitical priests 
and the Levites, whom David had organized to be in charge of the house of the Lord, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing, according to the order of David. He stationed the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord, so that no one should enter who was in any way unclean. And he took the captains, the nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the upper gate to the king's house, and they set the king on the royal throne. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Ataliah had been put to death with the sword. So Jehoiah made sure, Jehoiada made sure that the kingdom was restored to what God had intended it to be. So this was his work. Uh, the priests, again, standing on the side of righteousness, it, it, everything had to be cleansed. Everything had to be made pure. Everything restored to what God had intended for it to be. It's king, worship, and service. You see, man's attempt to be progressive with God's people and with God's established order of worship was destroyed by a righteous man and people who restored the biblical pattern of worship ordained by God. It's all in the name of being progressive today, right? We do certain things. Hey, listen, if, if you're into you know, doing entertainment to bring in the masses, then you're going to have to do more entertainment to bring in, to keep them. That's the way it works. I'm going to go to one verse. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who adds to the church? You guys know, refuge. Who, who adds to the church? Is it us? Yeah, but we invite, don't we? Aren't we in our own effort, we, we, we uh, do all of that. We're the ones that bring people into the house of the Lord, aren't we? We don't? We, we are co-laborers with Christ, right? We invite, but who adds to the actual house of the Lord? It's the Lord himself. He adds. We can invite, we can bring, but it's the Lord's work to convict the heart and to bring them into that place of surrendering their lives to the Lord. That, that's his work. That's what he does. What Ataliah had done, in fact, she had established the compromise of the orderly worship of God. She compromised it with the worship of Baal. She even had priests set up before altars, and that was all fine. But a righteous man came along and destroyed that and restored the biblical pattern of worship ordained by God. The rightful king now was on the throne. The worship of God was honored and kept pure. And the people rejoiced and enjoyed quiet, enjoyed peace. 
as righteousness triumphed in their hearts and land, wickedness was rejected and destroyed. Again, I conclude with this. Young Joash was seven years old. And he was anointed. And he was proclaimed as king. And confessed openly and publicly as the people all with one voice had long lived the king. That should be the very thing we do towards Jesus Christ. Enthroned in our own lives, proclaimed and confessed openly and publicly, to be Lord over our entire lives, that we too would rejoice and be at peace in Christ, our Lord and Savior. And again, I leave you with this. I had read it earlier, but Romans 15, verses 4 through 6 says, For whatever was written in former days, as we just read, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, you are the God of endurance and encouragement, as we just read. We are in desperate need of encouragement and endurance. Lord, there's too much that's, that's competing for our attention, our strength, our time, our treasure, everything, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, if we need to recommit our lives to you at this very moment, Lord, if there's anything that in any way, Lord, is a form of compromise in our lives, Father, we confess that to you and we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of doing so. Lord, help us to stand on the side of righteousness, blessing you, glorifying you, serving you with our entire lives, holding nothing back, but desiring only to glorify you, to honor you, the one who saved us from eternal condemnation through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, where there is Remission of sin, Lord, there has to be a shedding of blood. And so, Lord, we, we are truly eternally grateful for that. And so help us, Lord, to respond in such a way, Lord, that it, that it demonstrates that gratitude toward you. And so fill us with your spirit. Give us your strength, I pray, and give us your endurance and encourage us to stand with you and not waver. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.